Ding, 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 ding. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of The podcast in which a group of The podcast in which a group of B-Side. Hello and welcome back to B-Side. This is Tom here. Today we're going to be talking about Juzo Itami's 1985 picture, Tam Popo. And this is what is known as a ramen western. That is what Itami referred to it as, as opposed to a, a spaghetti western of, you know, of, of the old Clint, Wood, Clint Eastwood films. And I'm here in a, a cabin that my parents own up in the kind of Adirondacks region of New York. For people who don't know New York, this is a few hours north of New York City. And I'm here. I have my dog. He is right next to me. So if you hear a dog barking or uh, snarling or yipping or whatnot, that is Oliver. He is here with us. He is the special guest of B-Side today. And uh, also, if you hear any kind of background noise, I'm sorry about that. I'm not in my normal recording space. Um, It's still a little cold here in April in the mountains. And so there's a few heaters around. And that is what is, um, that's what you hear if there's like a little hum. I don't know if you could hear that, but those are just those heaters. And uh, yeah, so this is where I am. It's very nice. It's about 10 o'clock on a Tuesday, 10 o'clock at night on a Tuesday. And I am nice and alone in a, in the woods, in a cabin in the mountains. Um, it's very peaceful. It, it also maybe sound like I'm a little crazy because I'm alone in a cabin in the mountains, but it is a nice, it's a nice getaway for me. This is uh, the college I I work for. This is their spring break. And so I'm uh, using this time to do a lot of of writing, get a lot of work done on on my scholarship, but I'm also going to do that hiding away in the woods on a mountain in a cabin. And I'm taking a break here to talk about this really lovely movie. And I have to say, of all the movies that KJ has brought to the table, I think this is my favorite. Afterlife is a close competitor, but I I think this movie has made me a lot, maybe even happier than Afterlife. Um, I think with this podcast, I have a few notes put out, and I'm going to, to, you know, do my best to read through them, kind of negotiate what I've written. But the general idea here is that uh, this film for me is about the kind of collapsing of the space between um, Eros and Agape and really a kind of embracing of Eros as, uh, as a way to understand the the kind of the craftsperson's spirit and maybe even the amateur spirit, and uh, Tampupu is uh, is right now on Criterion Channel, um, the the streaming service from Criterion, and there's a number of extras with it, and there's one really fine video essay about ten minutes long titled "The Amateur and the Craftsperson" um, by Taylor Ramos and Tony. Uh, Tony Zhao, the last name is spelled Z-H-O-U, so I apologize, Tony, if I if I pronounced that wrong. But it's a it's a lovely 
video essay, and I'm kind of taking a bit of my inspiration for this B-side from their work. And I'd recommend, as I always do, the Criterion Channel streaming service, and I'd also recommend their, their video essay. It's really excellent. So what does my thesis mean, right? What is this kind of eros agape thing? Well, when we think about the concept of love and the different ways in which love manifests, there isn't maybe one image that comes to mind. Really, you have to kind of think of the context in which love is coming up. And so if you're going to say you love another person, maybe your significant other, that's very different from saying you, you love the work of Matisse, right? You know, or you love a a religious icon. You know, I, I'm a Catholic, so we might say, you know, we, we love the Virgin Mother, right? Mary the Virgin Mother. Um, saying I love Matisse, saying I love a significant other, and saying I love the Virgin Mother, these are, are very different emotions. These are very different ways of looking at love or or expressing love. In fact, they're very different means of expression. And the Greeks have these kind of categories of love. Uh, eros and agape are the, these two categories. And what I want to talk about here is how I think Itami's film really plays with these categories. Because if we think of Eros and Agape as very clear and distinct categories of love in which things fit under, then um, then we really, really we can divide the things that we have affection for into those two categories. So Eros really is physical passion, heat, sex, um, uh, a kind of uh, more emotion-based drive for things. You you know, eros is the, the source of the word erotic, too. And you could think of eros as a kind of erotic love. While agape is more an, a distant, admiring passion, right? That you, you, something you might have for a great work of art or um, maybe for a, a religious icon, as I said before. Though if you look at, you know, the book of, uh, the Song of Solomon in the Bible, there's a maybe a lot more eros than agape in that book. So that's also another work that has an interesting, an interesting blurring of these categories. Uh, but those are really what I mean by those terms, eros and agape. Agape is that kind of disinterested, evaluative, uh, appreciative love of a great work. What you might experience when you you go and see the David in Florence. If anybody's ever done that, seen Michelangelo's David. You know, you, you go into this room, there's the prisoners, which are these other uh, statues that Michelangelo made. And at, at first you notice the, the, the prisoners, and then you look up and you see the David in front of you, and it's this kind of shocking experience. It's an experience of agape, right? And I remember, you know, God, it was almost 20 years at this point, not quite 20 years, but almost 20 years ago when I did this, and you, you, you're you sort of shocked because you don't expect it, and you turn around, and the David is is right there at the end of this clear white 
hallway and it's you know like the, the most perfect thing you've ever seen and you sort of are uh transfixed by the experience of seeing that however to say that is a a passionate love in the same way that uh, an erotic experience or a demonstration of an erotic experience is a passionate love seems wrong right these are two different ways of experiencing passion and i i kind of want to look at this film as blurring those categories and so when we when we look at uh tampopo i think it's popo not poopoo so i'll try and keep that consistent tampoopoo popo excuse me um we see here the director itami he's collapsing craftsmanship good taste and even eroticism into a film that's half plot half vignette but it, it dances gleefully from joke to joke these little parodies of life these parodies of dedication dedication these parodies of mastery um he's never mocking these things he's never mocking these tropes he's bringing up he's never mocking the people who are attempting to attain mastery of something um his humor never stings he's too graceful for that he's too appreciative of the work people do for that he's too appreciative of the concept of craftsmanship he likes his characters he appreciates their comic struggle for the perfect bowl of ramen it's also itami's struggle for the perfect movie in this movie there is a collection of vignettes featuring a gangster in a white suit and his girlfriend lover whatever in a white dress and you know you, you see them throughout the movie in fact they're in the first scene and in the first scene the man in the white suit and his girlfriend in, in the white dress go into a movie theater and the a bunch of muscle comes in and they, they take care of them in the movie theater and the man in the white suit talks to the camera and and tells us that he is there for the perfect viewing experience and so this film also is about in a, a kind of metatextual way about the perfect viewing experience and of course it's our main character uh tampopo's struggle for the perfect bowl of ramen as i said before which is the main plot here this is the the central plot and the, the vignettes sort of dance around the main spine of the film which is her in training to become the perfect ramen chef and as i said before eros implies physical passion agape on the other hand i think from the context of this film it's kind of boring because it's no fun it's not physical um and the, towards the beginning of this movie one of the vignettes involves a sensei and his uh his student and they are at a ramen shop and they're going through the process of appreciating the ramen and it's it's a bit of a satire on the the amateur and how the amateur approaches things um actually i would say it's a parody of the amateur because it's still loving how much the amateur loves something right it, it you know itami i think he really appreciates amateur culture where people who are not professionals um absorb themselves in a craft 
in order to um, in order to critically participate in the structuring of a standard by which a craft and the product of the craft is considered excellent. And I think that that's what we're getting in one of these early vignettes when the sensei brings his student to have the perfect bowl of ramen. And so admire the broth, the sensei tells his student. They sit together, gazing at the accumulated fat on the surface of, of the broth water. Um, they slowly move the pork to the side, whispering to the meat, touching it gently, lifting it to tap it to, on the side of the bowl. Right? It's, it's, this, it's this experience of food that is careful, delicate, and very, very physical. It isn't just about the, the physicality and the sensation of taste. It's also, we're touching it. We're stroking the broth. We're moving the pork. They whisper to the pork at one point, you know, express a, a kind of an appreciation for the sacrifice of the pork, which, you know, is also both silly and, and kind of wonderful. Um, the whole thing feels like a seduction, like a caress, right? And that, I think, is Itami's um, understanding of the amateur, right? He, he's bringing back the original definition of amateur, which is his lover, right? Amateur, right? Uh, you know, one who loves. And that's what's going on here. The amateur isn't the disinterested admirer of the David like I was when I visited Florence. No, the amateur in this film is a lover and really a lover with, with all the weird, maybe sometimes gross, physical passion that that word implies. And we see this especially with the man in the white hat, who's also an amateur and also a great lover. We could see him with his uh, woman in the white dress, and later he seduces a young girl who is uh, picking up oysters. She's an oyster collector. And um, the, the great beauty of the oyster and the taste of the oyster sort of inspires him to to kiss this girl who's, who's this woman. She's, she's not a girl. She's a woman. Kiss this woman who has given it to him. And there's a scene earlier on where the man in the white hat is with his mistress and he is also really physical with her in the scene. It also involves food, food, right? He, he doesn't admire the food here. He cracks it open. Um, the, the woman in the white dress and the man in the white hat share an egg yolk. They kind of slide it back to back um, from his mouth to her mouth and her mouth to his mouth. She laughs naked as he holds a flailing crawfish in an upside down bowl to her stomach. She feeds sugar into her mouth from her breast. Eros is sex and discipline, restraint and desire. Then we see the, the combination of sex and food in a, a few scenes, a few vignettes where the the amateur's passion, right, is a passion in eros, not just in agape, that kind of disinterested thing, it's not going to serve. We feel this more deeply. 
And the, the main line, we have uh, Goro, who is a truck driver, who, uh, through kind of random circumstance, ends up meeting uh, Tampopo, our main character. And she is working in a ramen shop, it's not going so well, and he, uh, she pleads with him to help her develop the per- perfect bowl of ramen, because she recognizes that he is a uh, talented amateur. He understands ramen very well. You know, he he loves it. And even though he isn't involved in the production of ramen, he's not a ramen chef, he doesn't supply it in any way, yet he has the, the dilettante's appreciation for a good bowl of ramen, as does a, a number of people in his life, including a, um, what appears to be a, a homeless man who is a, a gourmet. He loves great food, but him and his team of gourmets seem to, I think, live on the street. They're kind of homeless gourmets who, who talk about food and talk about how wonderful it is and, and um, compare how different things taste and how things uh, are paired together. And it, it's this great little idea in which the the function of a gourmet, or I shouldn't say the function, but the life of a gourmet, the the various um, the various communal activities and uh, and knowledge spheres into which one can participate become accessible in this kind of um, broad egalitarian way to to everyone, right? You know, a- anyone can be a, a gourmet a lover of food and appreciator of good food in this picture. And so, you know, all of these people, this seemingly homeless man and Goro, the truck driver, and uh, Tampupu, uh, they they work together, Tampopo, excuse me, they work together to develop the perfect bowl of ramen, right? And so that is what's really going on here. Um, it's not just about being a, a gourmet of ramen, right? It's about being a gourmet of everything, of film, of sex, of food, of wine. The man in the white suit and his, his girlfriend in the white dress, um, he's a disciplined libertine, a hedonist with a philosophy. He believes in a rarefied experience of pleasure, right? Sip your wine slowly and know what wine it is. Know why it gives you pleasure. And then have sex while drinking it. <laughs> enjoy the, the various physical pleasures that you can enjoy, right? And understand them. Um, you know, he even says in this, uh, this opening scene, but the, the, that is the, he is the, uh, the man with the white hat. Um, he says, even death is a pleasure. So when he finally dies, he can watch a short film on his exit, in his exit from this, this realm. He can see a, a, a short film. That's what he imagines. And later in the movie, he is shot and killed for reasons we were never told. And we could see him kind of imagining the the short film he's going to enjoy. And so the the context in which he is alive, not the context in which he's alive, but he's framing his life in terms of this 
amateur status towards the the loved thing, right? It's not a disinterested, evaluative process. It's, I am having a rarefied experience when I go to the movie theater, and I connect this to the point in my life when my life will end. It's, it's that important to him. And that becomes more than just me visiting Florence and seeing the David and saying, well, it's pretty amazing that, you know, the David is right there. Um, it's, it's eroticism, but it's eroticism that is expanded out to encompass and envelop an entire life cycle. Because even as he dies, this rarefied experience of the, the, the disciplined and appreciative amateur, um, it's the, the last thing that he experiences on his way out because he experiences uh, a short film even as he dies. Whew. All right. And um, I, again, shout out to The Amateur and the Craftsperson, a video essay by Taylor Ramos and Tony Zhao. That's Z-H-O-U and, and Ramos is R-A-M-O-S. And thank you very much for listening. This has been Tom from B-Side.